Doug South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DougSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here your host, Rocky LaFleur. Everybody on? Good. Great. Grand. Wonderful. No yelling in the butt. Josh Webb. Sorry I had a fight in the middle of your butt. I'm party. And Jake LaTondres. I am bad news. Also starring Rob Crew. I bet this guy's into the woods a hundred bucks. And Bradley Ramsey. Bill Martin inside. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody. Showtime. Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me from Kansas, Ryan Warden. Ryan, it is almost August. I mean, fall is just about here. And, I mean, this time of year, when you get into August and September, you get into those days that tease you a little bit. I mean, one or two days a month where it's a little bit rainy and drizzly, overcast type days. People don't realize it, but they're there one or two days a month in August. And in September, you usually get that. Usually right before dove season. You start to get those cool rains below 65 degrees that go ahead and make those doves migrate right on out of town that you've been watching all summer pile up on cut wheat stubble or as they start cutting corn in late August, those birds start to pile into that cut corn next to a pond and you think how good that shoot's going to be. And usually start getting some of those cool rains in late August and start freaking out about first time it rains and it's below 60, you're going to lose about half your doves. And at least that's the way it is in Kansas. So that's, that's the way that's it is guaranteed here. Deal. I mean, that's a guaranteed deal here in Kansas. Talk to me in here at the end of August. And, about the 25th of August, we'll, we'll reference back to this call, and that'll be a deal where they we get some cold rains, cold evenings, and some birds head out. Just about the time hey, everything gets right. Our bow season opens October 1st, Tim, here in Mississippi. When When does it open in Kansas? Um, well, usually we'll have a youth deer season that starts about the second week in September, sometime around the 7th, um, and they can use a rifle and youth hunt. Then the third week, muzzleloader season will start and bow season will start. usually starts on a Monday, um, somewhere probably around the 15th, 16th, 17th, um, I'm not looking at a calendar, but sometime in that time period on that Monday, uh, muzzleloader and bow season will open. It will drag 
Most season will run all the way through the end of December. Our muzzleloader season will run for two weeks, uh, actually 12 days. Um, and then it will shut off. And you'll run through basically October 1 to December 1, roughly, for bow season. And then sometime around December 1, uh, rifle season will start and run for a 12-day period. And stop somewhere around December you know, 12th to 15th. Not that anybody cares, really, probably probably this listen to this podcast about a deer, but I find it interesting. When the science behind it, when when is the peak of the rut in where you are in Kansas? Uh, I mean if you, if you ask the general public they're gonna tell you the middle of November. Um November sixteenth has always been a very important day that I've just not missed being in the stand. Um, October 31st, the pre-rut activity is a day that I've never missed being in the stand until my oldest daughter was born in 2005, and ever since then, my opening sets of being on Halloween have ended. One, she was a Halloween baby. Two, it was Halloween and I had kids, but... Usually, a lot of times, if you're in a stand about the 7th to the 16th in the state of Kansas, usually in pretty good shape with stuff. I mean, depending on the moon. And, I mean, breeding's breeding. Whether the moon's out, sun's out, whatever. If, you know, if, if whitetail's breeding 10 to 20 times a, a year, during a 20 or 30 day period, then it, if I told you you had a chance to breed 20 times a year during a 30 day period, I don't think you'd care about the sun, the moon, the wind, the rain, whatever. I mean, sit there out there, go find them. I think you'd be on the loose. See, the ours is our peak of ours is about a month. After yours, it sounds like, and just just like a lot of waterfowl, it's based on the length of day that that species kicks them in, and it just shows shows you the difference in the length of the day in Mississippi and Kansas at that point. Well, back when the Jury Outdoor guys and Everybody else used to come with us. That was the deal. They were always going to Terra and stuff like that, and that was part of it. Is their ruts much later? So it was always pretty interesting to me to to see and visualize and think about how to process what you know what's causing that. So, you know, one hundred and seventy-six hours of daylight in a four-day period. You know, what? What? what's causing that? What's triggering that? Does cloud cover affect that? Does cloud cover not affect that because it's sun up, sun down? Does moon reflect that? You know, what, 
what's actually triggering that. It's one of those deals you could you could really honestly pinpoint it, narrow it down, and say, "Hey, this is it." You'd probably be a millionaire. Where does if you had to rank a top three or five? Where would you put Kansas? I mean, I know it's going to be in the top three or five, but where would you put it in comparison yeah, I mean, to Kansas, say the, I mean, Mississippi, Kentucky, Illinois, Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, just making a loop up and around, but that's kind of the top whitetail states that are producing the most Boone and Crockett's. I mean, I think, you know, everybody thinks Illinois first. Yeah. I, I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of the stuck guard of, of deer hunting. Yeah, I think, and I, I love Illinois and I respect it, but I think Illinois is the 140-inch, three-year-old or two-year-old capital of the world. Um, but I've heard about it looking like Cancun during... Opening day of shotgun season. It's just people everywhere. Um, I think it's probably overhunted a little bit. I'm I'm not sure that they're not all overhunted, but that's probably one of the worst. But you know, Illinois has got to be up there in the top. Iowa has always got to be up there in the top. Nebraska quietly is coming on strong. Missouri is always right there in the game. Kentucky is a state. You know that that's quietly coming on strong. Kansas is there. Oklahoma, you get you know you got a lot of stuff going on in Oklahoma. Uh, the far eastern edge of Colorado, you can get in some big white tails. Uh, I'm not a. I have nothing against Mississippi, but I'm not a huge fan of Mississippi. I think. You know, it's just different. It's just different down there. I think the quality of deer is different, and I could be wrong. But remember, I've been I've been on the bench for a while too. Oh so. man, you get on that Mississippi River in the Delta part, and probably not now after these floods is, that's happened throughout the the Delta region of Mississippi. But prior to that. It was Boone and Crockett you never even heard about that never went in the record book. Tons of them being killed. Really? Oh, I guess you couldn't classify them as Boone and Crockett because they weren't registering them. But on these river islands, this Mississippi River, jeez. I mean, not even specifically the islands. I mean, anywhere you are within 10 miles of the Mississippi River, it is some giants. Here's my biggest problem with deer hunters, Brian, and it's the same problem I have with duck hunters. Mine is the most critical time that a deer needs nutrients and feed and everything to heal up from the rut. People don't understand how tough it is on their body. Yeah, They pull the food. They do nothing for them. It's just like on the flight back. These ducks have just been whittled down to nothing, have no muscle left on their breast, 
and here we are pulling boards. Yeah. Pulling boards January thirty nah. first when it the day it closes instead of leave it there to the fifteenth of February. What's it gonna hurt? Nobody's farming. Yeah. At that point. No, I agree, and and you know probably the thing that helps a lot of Kansas deer is we have a lot of winter wheat. And when that winter wheat's green, the protein in that winter wheat's like 27% protein. And so we have winter wheat, winter wheat through January, February, March. So they have a lot, you know, to work with. And by April, you know, hopefully stuff. We're through our last freezes. They're starting to plant. They're starting to disc. So I think that's what saved Kansas a lot is so we're north so we get this. cold winters, but we're far enough south that our winters aren't terrible, and we have before winter get, wheat access. Before we get back in the story, I want to ask you this. You brought up something that interests me. You, you talked about river systems in Kansas. One of the things that I want to do before I die Start out in Colorado on the Arkansas River, come down through Kansas, down through Oklahoma and through Arkansas, and hunt at different locations on the Arkansas River. That that interests me because that sucker runs all the way from Colorado and dumps into the Mississippi River. Uh, God, as a crow flies from where I am right now, forty miles. That's a long ways. Yeah. And that that system, <coughs> that body of water, holds so many birds for the Central and Mississippi flyways. Well, and we're pretty narrow here. I mean, we're not we're really not much wider four lanes of traffic. But when all of our little ponds which we talked about being tanks and whatever. I mean, all those little bodies of water, when those freeze up, that river's flowing still. And those ducks dump down on that river and they'll get thick. They'll pool up on that river and the river hunting gets real good. Sand pits are the same way. And you can drive up and down that river on dirt roads that parallel that river for and be a half mile or three quarters of a mile off and you start seeing the eagles setting in the trees, then you you're you probably need to be stopping and waiting for ducks to to come off the roost out there on that river because they're out there. And those eagles are usually about a quarter mile from them waiting to hunt them. So I mean, it's pretty cool here, but it's not a big it's not a big river system like what you guys have down there. But it's water in it all the time during the winter, isn't it? Parts of it. I mean you get over by Garden City, Lake and Deerfield, Holcomb. No. There's no wa- there's not water in it all the time. So you may come out of Colorado and you may have good water. And then when you get to western Kansas it may be dry enough that you could dig a twenty foot hole and not hit water. Wow. And then you get you get over just by because Wichita. All the, just because of the locks and dams for energy. Yeah, it just, electricity. Yeah, it just 
I mean, it just it's dry out there. It just soaks in. I mean, you can have water that's so it's flowing so good, you you and your friends could go get in an inner tube and float down it in the in the summertime. And you can drive eight miles away and walk under that bridge and lay face down at the deepest part and not even get wet. I mean, there's no water there. Wow. Not I'm not talking two inches of water or a stream that's six inches wide. I'm talking no water, like... Ain't been water there for, and it may run like that for months. When I was growing up, I remember having water at our bridge in Deerfield, and eight miles away at Holcomb, not having water ever. Like the entire summer, we had running water, and then I worked at the swimming pool at Holcomb, so I would drive that back road. I would cross our bridge to leave Deerfield. We had running water. I would go eight miles, cross that bridge to go back into Holcomb. No running water. Three, four months at a time. Unreal. So it's almost hard to believe, unfortunately, the reality of it. So then when you, but so there, that's the big that's the big argument in the state of Kansas is the Arkansas River or the Arkansas River, however, I don't even want to get into that debate, but um, the Arkansas River is a navigable river, so it's public. Well, then the argument is it's not navigable until you get east of Wichita, which is in the center of the state, because there's not enough water in it to navigate it. So therefore, it's not deemed navigable so it would not be deemed public until you get to Wichita East. Huge arguments. We could argue I mean, on that one all night long. I promise. We could talk yeah, about that I mean, forever. I mean, they argue about it here in the states, in the state of Kansas, all the time. So, all right. Well, look. It's time to get back into the story. So last week we left it. You got the call. You got the date and time for court. It's time to show up. I want to know detail by detail all about that day, start to finish. Well, it was So I got the. We I went in. I talked to the lawyer and I said, "Hey, what are we gonna do?" And he basically said, "Here, here's where we're at. They're not willing to to go any lower." And I said, "Okay." And he said, uh, "You know, this is the option is that you're gonna pay roughly seventy five hundred dollars in fines." Um. You are not going to be able to hunt fish or trap in the United States for five years. You're going to be on unsupervised probation. So if you do hunt fish or trap or do anything to violate your probation, get arrested or anything like that, then we are going to uh, revoke your probation 
and you will serve your sentence, basically. And the biggest deal was you weren't going to be able to hunt fish or trap. In there, it read that you weren't going to be able to do, you weren't going to be able to hunt fish or trap or be with anybody doing so. And so he basically told me that I, I have to sell my business. So, you know, we went through all that, jumped through all those things, and was really pushing on the brakes at that point because it's hard to sell a business in a short period of time. You don't want it to close or ultimately they win. Um, so you're trying to push on the brakes. You're trying to stop things. You're trying to offload it. Um, people are listening, but they're listening um, all at different rates. So it was, you know, literally you're, you're – you know, hey, one guy, hey, I'll, I'll sell you this for $10, and they weren't interested in the next guy, it's eight, the next guy, it's six, and the next guy, it's four, and the next guy, it's, you know, two, and then it's, all right, let me take this, this, and this with me, and I'll sell it to you for two, and so you're you're trying to work through that, you're you know, the girl that I had remarried to was not on board with any of it. She, the dollar signs were quickly going out the window. She was not interested. She was dating a guy that she worked with prior to me and was probably dating him while we were married. And um, questions were coming up. And, I mean, it, it was chaos because it's, hey, such and such is over there at her house. Are you sure? Because I'm in Western Kansas and my parents. Yeah, I'm sure. I got pictures. You're sending me pictures. I'm trying to call her. She's not answering. I mean, so things were bad. They were compiling. I had a court date set. Um, I had to break the news to my parents. I had to break the news to my kids. It was on the news. It was on the radio. When you're driving to work in the morning, and, you know, my daughter was getting approached in public about, hey, I heard this happening to your dad. You know, it's it's school time. Now we're in that August-September time frame where school has started. And my ex was calling me saying, hey, uh, just so you know, Riley's friend at school said that, her dad's in a lot of trouble and is probably going to go to jail and this and that. And so you're having to approach your eight-year-old daughter and not only tell her, hey, remember last year when we shot uh, deer? Um, we're not going to We're not gonna be able to hunt this year. And last year I took you turkey hunting. You got your first turkey. Well, you know, next season we're not going to be able to hunt and it's going to be an extended period and, I made some mistakes, and I probably should have been doing stuff a little bit better than what I was, but you're still bitter at the point. You're kind of like the scorned kid that's being told to go say, I'm sorry. And you're like, I really didn't do anything that constitutes this, but you also are not trying to raise your kids to not accept punishment or not deal with things. So... You're trying to balance all this out, and you're you're dealing with an ex-wife, and 
she's not very impressed about it, but she knew what was going on. She knew it was coming down, and she was pretty supportive about it. And then the wife you're married to, you don't know what she's doing or when she's doing it or who she's doing it with. And so it's just mass chaos. Things things are unraveling to the point in which they're not going to unravel anymore. And you're trying to figure out what you're going to do. What am I going to do with my life? This is what I've known forever. I don't know anything different than this. I've raised my kids all summer. <laughs> I'm going to have to relearn who I am and refigure out what, what is going on with me. And so I, I got a hold of my parents, and I said, hey, we've got court. And they said, what are you going to do? And I said, I, I can't win. I've talked, I've talked to Jeff. I've talked to everybody i've got i'm very confident in my lawyer and i said well, I, you know i can't win and i said you know I, I at that point i started to own up to my mistakes of if you're in the business you should probably know better and i didn't feel like i mean it's a real mixed road there because part of your part of you is saying nobody ever told me i never heard anything and the other part of you is trying to take responsibility for your actions and say, did you ever look? I mean, you called yourself a guide. At what, what, what did you do to do that? Well, you went and took a commercial guide test. Was it on there? No, not through the state of Kansas. It wasn't on there. What else did you do to be a commercial guide? Went and took first aid and CPR class and got insurance. Leased ground and started from there. Nobody ever taught me how to be a guide. I mean, you go be a teacher for thirty or $50,000, somebody teaches you how to be a teacher. You go through four years of school, you're a teacher. You go to be a nurse for forty dollars to $60,000, you go through nursing school. Somebody teaches you how to be a nurse. They tell you the laws. They tell you this and that. You go to be anything, an engineer, and make sixty dollars to $110,000 out of college. You go through four years of school, you take tests, you learn how to do it, whatever. But to be an outfitter and make two hundred, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars a year, you don't do anything. Nobody teaches you anything. It's like, here, go, go good luck, go after it. Take this test that you can study from the regulations about laws in the state of Kansas. Get your first aid CPR certification and get insurance. And at the time, insurance wasn't a requirement. Insurance has never, ever been a requirement in the state of Kansas. In Colorado, it is. Kansas, it isn't. So, I mean, you can have a 13-year-old or a farmer that's never shot anything in his life or been a hunter or own a gun, and he can call himself... Twisted Tea Outfitters because he owns Twisted Tea Ranch and has 320 acres of corn circles that deer show up on and geese fly out on too and whatever he doesn't know anything about it and oh my parents died and they lived you know just a half mile from me on the same piece of ground and so we use that a lot as a lodge and so nope, nobody ever gets taught anything and I'm not using that as an excuse but it's the reality of it. No, who's who's teaching anybody anything? 
and then you just don't you 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 nothing ever gets any better. Nobody, there's no 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 way along the way that you ever get taught what you should really be doing. And so I was very frustrated with that fact and trying to explain to my kids, hey, look, I didn't really have a clue what I was doing, but I tried to make the best life I could for us, and things were getting really good. And I was really on track to make lots of money. You know, I have three kids, two girls and a son. My son was the youngest, and and someday he would take over this business. And you two girls wouldn't have to worry about college. He wouldn't have to worry about college. Life would be good. I mean, I remember singing songs to them from Keith Urban, that someday, baby, you and I are going to, everything's going to change. And we were, I was literally living in a trailer, trailer house at one point prior to doing all this. I bought a house, remodeled it. So it was one of those deals where you've you've brought yourself that far, and now all of a sudden you're trying to explain to an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and not even messing with the two-year-old that you you lost it all. And I don't I don't really know how to tell you that I failed you, but I failed you, and I failed your mom. You know I I don't get a, I don't get to tuck you in bed every night and kiss you goodnight because. There was too much stress on me and your mom. And so, I mean, here we are. So I had to tell her, hey, look, we're going to court. You're going to hear about it. It's going to come out. The place right across from where you work has written multiple newspaper articles on me about hunters seek warden for expertise, blah, blah, blah. They're going to write, they're going to be calling me. Was there um, anybody holding judgment media-wise until they heard the result of this? Because they kind of – did anybody mm-hmm. know the contents of what was going on anyway? Initially, initially the, the, the news company, the rural messenger that was right across the street um, from where my ex was working at, the, at that time, they had written articles on me about – TV crews coming in and what I was doing for Haven and I was helping sponsor, you know, sub-state softball and murals in town. And I was a big, you know, I was donating money and doing things for the public in town. And then when I got in trouble, uh, Fred Solstice called me and wanted to talk to me. And, you know, I said, I have nothing to say at this time. I knew that from being in law enforcement. You don't walk out of a crime scene and the first guy that says, hey, what's going on in there? You don't walk over there and say, hey, well, I'm not really sure, but it looked like a guy got his head cut off in there and whatever. That's why you always see, like, the chief of police there talking. So I just knew you're you're not going to do anything but get in trouble and create more issues for yourself by talking. And anything you say is going to be misconstrued. So just leave it alone. So, you know, there was just that in the Hutch News and a couple of radio stations that called, got no answer. I mean, they still aired what they did. It was small stuff. And that was initially at the beginning of things. 
um, now obviously we're three years later, and they don't know it's coming, but I know it's coming. So I'm trying to warn my loved ones, hey, look, remember a few years ago when we got drugs through the mud and everybody looked like idiots? And it was my fault. Well, it's coming again. So brace for impact because here it comes. So then you get the questions of well, what are they going to do? Did any of them think that it was over, though? Um, yeah, I mean, even my ex at the time, I'm like, she's like, they didn't let go of that yet. And it's like, yeah, your dad was the chief of police and was in law enforcement for 29 years. You know, you were married to me forever. And of that ever time, we were I was a cop for seven years. You know it's just not going to go away. I mean, I appreciate your support and your kind words, but you ha you knew it wasn't going to go away. I mean, they're going to do something. We knew the statute of limitations right away. I have a five-year statute of limitations. So we we knew we were working with some time frames and that they were going to make decisions based on those time frames. And they were starting to do that. I was pushing things. Remember, we were talking about pushing things. I was pushing it. I was wanting them to make some decisions because I couldn't live that way any longer. Well, they started making decisions, and I didn't want them to. So we started slamming on the brakes. Hey, stop this. not good. I can tell where this is going. It's going to run me. It's going to ruin my life worse than what it already has. At this point, I probably need a liver transplant. Um, I, I remember looking at... During these times, I remember them talking an article about Obama and how when he entered the White House, he would look like this, and when he left, he would have so much more gray, and they were projecting how he was going to be that much older looking. And I remember looking at pictures of myself with my daughter or daughters, you know, at the Pretty Prairie Rodeo, we went every year. I took them every year. It was around July 20th. That was when my second daughter was born. Um, we always went. I remember looking at how much I aged over those years, the stress that it had put on me, um, the stress it had put on my relationships. I mean, I talked to a buddy tonight. uh he said, hey, these people are raving about this podcast. And I said, yeah, we, you know. And I said, I lost a lot of friends over that. And I always appreciated the fact that you were there as one of my top ten friends. And he, he said, you lost friends over that? And I said, yeah. So it's just one of those deals that every everything's changing. And here you're coming down the chute. You're headed to court. So my parents came up. They were in western Kansas four hours away, three and a half hours away. They came up. My sister came up. Um, we dressed up like we were going to church and we got civilized clothes on. And my wife, me, went over there. I remember ironing my shirt that morning because um, my sister's like, you can't wear that. You know, let me iron it, whatever. And I'm like, they're not really going to care about my shirt and belt on shoes everything i mean i was 
ready for church, a wedding, or a funeral. And little did I know, well, I knew it was coming into a funeral. So here we go, and we take off, and we get to, to Wichita, where the federal court office is. And um, we come inside, and I meet Kurt Kearns there. And in order to get into the hallways where the federal court was, you had to show proof of ID and go through, you know, a metal detector. And there was armed guards there and whatever. And that was kind of the start of that time period, but it was kind of the first I'd been exposed to it. And so reality was really starting to set in of, are you really that bad of a guy, dude? I mean, <laughs> what happened to you? What how did you get here? How's this? I don't get it. And so we went in, we went to the third floor, and we sat outside, and there was these long benches down this hallway. And there were several other guys sitting out there. Well, mean, in the meantime, I had heard, this was November 24th. In the meantime, in September, during that opening two weeks of dove season in early September, there was rumors, there was published stories in the newspaper that some guys in Kansas had went out and and got checked by game warden. There was a report of shots. Game warden shows up. Game warden walks up. One guy's over the limit. He says, don't leave. Stop shooting. These other guys are down here shooting the field. I'm going to go down here. Whatever. Um, guy had like 60-some geese or 60-some doves with them, not geese. Um, he leaves, goes down, checks the other guys. They've got a bunch of doves with them. He starts gathering people up, calling for backup. In the meantime, the guy up top's hiding all his doves out in the weeds, this and that. So they ended up 200, 209 doves over. Now remember, oh. I'm going, I'm I'm going into court to plead to one dove over. I'm going into court to plead to shooting off the bed of a truck, and I'm going into to plead to not tag. These guys were 209 over, with one dead owl recovered, great horned owl. So. I'm thinking them guys are probably going to get, like, death by lethal injection type shit because I'm getting ready to go down for five years with $7,500 in fines, lose my business and everything else. These fools over here that are 209 over with an owl, and then when the game warden walks off, he hides the birds, and they have to bring a dog out and recover them, and they come up with 209 we there's multiple levels of issues here, so I'm thinking these these guys are for sure hosed. They're probably going to be hung. Yeah, I mean, you, you pretty much you you kind of already know what you're getting. Oh yeah, I we I had signed the plea agreement and said we'll 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 enter this plea agreement with the stipulation the judge may say uh, lethal injection tomorrow or time served, I don't want to see you again. 
enjoy your life. And so we talked they, about that. Have they plead, pleaded their case out? No. They had just got – this had just went down and everything else. So then there was somebody in court, and I don't, I don't remember the exact specifics of it because I was so stressed out about – what was going on, but there was, I mean, we're in federal court, so people are going in and out of there that are, you know, probation violation, absconder, you know, you, you were released on probation for, you know, manufacturing methamphetamine, uh, whatever, you didn't report with your probation officer, you were on the run for six months, now we've captured you, what do you think? Okay, here's we're going to put you in inpatient treatment and whatever for six months. You're going to report to a probation officer and whatever. And I'm thinking, these dudes aren't getting fined any big amounts as they didn't have any money. So there's no point in fining them because they're going to violate those fines. So all the outfitters that are out there that are listening, if you guys are successful, they're going to fine you. Just like they did me in foils and everybody else, they're going to find you big amounts because you can afford it. Whether you think you can or not, you can sell tractors, boats, guns, whatever. They're going to find you. So hey, we let, we let me ask you, the, you you had to do a lot of research on this. I'll ask you a crazy question. In all your research, had anybody ever been slapped on the wrist? No. By the fit. By a federal judge, if they went to court or in a plea agreement, no. On on my life, I've never found a plea agreement that was necessarily any better than mine in federal court. I mean, <clears throat> there were some. There, I mean, there's some. My two guys, we'll talk about it later, but they just they end up with smaller plea agreements, but. They want the head of the snake. So all you outfitters out there that are in charge of the show, they want you. They don't care who's working for you. They're after you. So in order to get you, they will go up to whoever's working for you and say, hey, bud, look, you can walk and go on with your life. We're not really after you. We know that he talked you into doing things or whatever. Do you have anything to say about that? And the minute you say... I mean, it's the whole immunity deal with Jeff Foyles. The minute you start talking, you walk. And the guy like me that owns it, the head of the snake, you're going down. And so if something's made up, then you have to defend that because somebody's made a statement that you butchered somebody and threw him under your basement and buried him in six feet of concrete. So... Now you better be able to defend that. Start digging. And some of that stuff is not easy to defend. Yeah, I remember multiple times that we went out and shot birds in the evening, or in the morning, shot birds in the evening. Um, we we put them in gunny sacks, tied bricks to them, and threw them off the spillway dam. Just for the record, we never did that. I just made that up. But... The point being is when somebody says that, you, how do you how do you defend that? Go go to the spillway and and prove it. 
because that's all right, all right. what they're so, saying. So, what they're saying happened eight years ago. So sh- I mean, you directed your point to a lot of guys that were just that are listening to this podcast because we get messages from them three or four a week. We we have been brought into group messages you and I with with different guys. All right, you just sent out a message to a lot of guys. Yes, ask you this. You got a guide that and I know what your answer is going to be. You as the head, the owner or the head guide, you have no idea some of the things that's going on with some of your guides. I know that your answer is going to be you should. Sometimes you don't. And I, yeah, I so, don't know that. You, I mean, I don't know that I would give you this. That you should. I mean, the reality of it, ideally, you should. Is that reality? What are your kids doing? There are choices that I would never make as a owner in the past that some of my guides have made. I would never, and they know that they've been instructed (laughs) to not make those decisions. So my my whole deal with this is their decisions should never affect me. They're those, the same choices that you would never make at the age you're at now. The same decisions. Have any of your kids made those decisions that weren't what you would have made? Oh, yeah. Have they? And I'm not saying I have bad kids or whatever. I don't know that my kids have ever taken gum out of a store. Have they written on a wall with crayon? Yeah, would I have done that? No. So there's decisions that your kids would have made that you would have never, ever made. It's a direct reflection of you. But it's a direct reflection of you. If your kids go to the neighbor's house and light their garage on fire, would you have done that? No. Does that reflect on you? Yep. Those warden kids lit that garage on fire, right? So you it, that's a that's a really tough. That's really tough. You can't. I understand that the public get, guy, you can yeah, get into it is you can a get into a position. You. Yeah, you can get in the same position with your kids that you get into with your guides. Were you over there in Barbara's garage lighting newspaper on fire? No, I wasn't. Were you? I have a report that a client told me you were trying to get them to. Take your plug out of your gun, were you? No, I wasn't. I mean, what do you do? So that's tough. That's a tough call. The the what you should do and whatever, that's tough because you you've only got two sets of eyes. And no matter how much you trust your guides, and to be real honest with you, I don't I would stand behind my guides. My guides may have not all stood behind me, but I stood behind them. And naive or not, I think they stood behind me because I don't think there was enough there for them not to stand behind me. And so I'm I'm just going to go with what makes my heart feel better that they all stood behind me. And I stood behind them and I tried to stay in contact with them. I tried to encourage them, hey, we'll get through it, whatever. We did. It wasn't the same. It's still not to this day. But... I, I just don't I it's 
it's that's a tough that's really tough because you trust them or you wouldn't hire them and at the point when you don't trust them you're trying to replace them because you've got guys on the book so you can't just get rid of them I mean you got to get them replaced you can't just walk into a store and fire everybody in Walmart and say you guys are doing terrible so you're all fired I'm going to run this baby by myself tomorrow so, you know what I mean? You you gotta you gotta have people to replace those people, and then, I mean, I, I it's that's it's tough. You're you're the boss, and what what happens reflects on you. If you go to Applebee's and eat food, and it's frozen and comes out on the plate frozen, never even been heated, that's going to reflect on that restaurant. Did you serve it as the owner? No. Were you even there as the owner? No, probably not. When the review comes out, is it going to affect you? Yes, it's going to affect you. So it's it's tough. You got to put, you got to empower your guides. You got to talk to them and say, look, this isn't just my future; it's your future too. Because at some point, you're going to be drugged into it. You may be able to get yourself out of it, but you're going to be drugged into it. It's better off if we just don't get into it. So let's get out of it. Let's do something different. So none of my, neither one of my guides, back to the what we were talking about, neither one of my guides, none of my guides had had anything filed against them or anything. And I'm reaching out to them like, hey, have your lawyers been contacted? Nope. And I'm part of, part of you, yes, part of you's thinking great. The other part of you is reading the draft copy of your indictment. It's like you going high. We're all screwed. We're all screwed. But you're not really wanting to freak them out. And it's like they want me. I've said here I am. Now they've got me. So I'm sitting in this hallway in Wichita. And people are coming in and out, filing in and out. People are crying. People are getting arrested. Like, I didn't see anybody come out of the courtroom that wasn't crying or arrested. And then they come out, open the door. They're like, Mr. Warden, Kurt Kern stands up. My mom, my dad, my sister stand up. Whoa, stand stop. Up. Stop. Conversation in the hallway before he comes out and says, Mr. Warden. What was said? What do you remember? Any conversation that sticks out in your mind while y'all were sitting in the hallway? No, I mean, he just told me that, hey, look, we know what we're getting into. Uh, and I continue to ask the question of, I entered this plea agreement, and it stretched me to the limits with $7,500 in fines and losing my business can't be in possession of a weapon, can't have fish or trap. I mean, you, you're stripping me pretty good here. I can't go in there and get worse. And what's going to, you know, what are they going to do to me? And he's like, they should, they, you know, they should go with what the prosecutor, what the prosecutor wants. Well, does, your mom, okay. does your mom and sister, your mom, sister, and wife, right? Are there? 
mom, sister, wife, and dad. Mom, sister, wife, and dad. My. Are they asking him any questions? Uh, no, not really, because not really because I tried to inform him and I made sure they know. Look, I'm extremely stressed out. I'm 36 years old. I don't need you. It's. I'm glad you're here to support me, but I don't really need you to add anything to it. And of course, my dad is like ready to kick John T. Brooks's ass. And he's thinking, this is stupid. I've never heard of it. I'm 65 years old. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. He knew how broke I was. And he was, he, he, he was, he was not going to, he's not, I don't know how to explain my dad. He's not the type that's going to do anything, but he's going to say something type deal. And I'm thinking, just shut up because I don't really want to go to federal prison. I don't want to be hung on the streets of Wichita tomorrow, whatever. I know you're pissed off. And you think John T. Brooks's case was wasted, so do I. But he's trying to do a job. He's getting paid to do a job. Love him or hate him, his job's his job. He he did it. He tried to do it to the best he could. I don't agree with it. I don't know anybody that got arrested that does. So let it let bygones be bygones. Respect the fact that he was doing his job. Try to work yourself through that type of deal. And so, there's gonna be a lot of butterflies floating in everybody's belly, though. Yeah, and so, you know, the the guy held the door open. So the so the bailiff, and I don't guess it's called a bailiff in federal court, is it? Is it the bailiff walks out and calls you in? Yes, yes. And so we walk in. And that's where we're going to stop it this week. Man, we are out of time. They're going to kill us. You you realize that, right? We are absolutely, we're we're actually in overtime right now. You realize I'm like five steps from locking (laughs) eyes with John T. Brooks. Whoa. And I I haven't seen. Hold it. Hold it. (laughs) You just won. <laughs> you won. You won overtime. Stop. Okay. All right. Five steps, we, Rocky. Seriously. Seriously. I mean, we, we're really into overtime. So okay. We'll leave it there. Everybody will turn, tune in next week. All right. Sorry, and guys. Hear about those. hear about those moments in the courtroom. Sorry. What, hey, your mom, pretty... Uh, who was the most nervous out of everybody there? Outside of you. I'm saying the other three that, that are there, four. I don't know. My, probably my mom. Oh, my I mean, mom. My mom and freaking sister, out. My, my, mom, my mom and the sister were the criers. I mean, it's like you're walking into a funeral. They've got napkins ready. They're crying outside. You're like, hey, it's all right. You're trying to be strong. You're smiling. Hey, we'll be all right. You'll be all right. Because you can't tell your 65, 70-year-old mother 
It's over. You remember Sanford and Son? Yeah. Yes, my father's ringtone to my phone is Sanford and Son. So, so Sanford and Son, my mom was a nester. Should have been beat me in the head with the purse walking into the courtroom. Yes. But inside, she is going crazy. Just nervous as all get out. My mom was not that. She was the... And just call it what you will. It's just a reality of it. I love my mom, and y'all can make fun of her all you want. But my mom was the... Well, he shot somebody in the head? Well, what were they doing standing in front of him? They should have never been standing there. Well, he was pointing the gun at him. Well, why didn't they move? Obviously, they wanted to be shot because they stood right there in front of him. So my mom was the enabler as far as that goes when it came to that stuff. And it, it was just... So she wasn't beating me, but she, I, she was probably deep down inside. She was probably ready to fight the prosecuting attorney, John Brooks. I mean, she was ready to come in. Like you remember when we were kids and you used to watch those WWE, you know, WWF deals, cage fights, and they would come running from the ramp and slide in under the ring and jump up and beat people and throw them over the rope one at a time. I mean, that that was. My mom was probably more ready to do that, thinking, why have you hurt my son's feelings? Why have you? I mean, but remember, she's got two kids left. She buried her oldest one, which is what the business was named after. So protective of her kids, definitely. She's the mother goose that's lost one. And now when something dangerous approaches, we're ready to fight type deal. So you just always kind of let my mom go, do her thing. My sister is the same way. Right. My, my other sister was 10 years older than me. So she practically raised me as well. Well, next week we'll start off. You walking in those big double doors. It's going to get pretty good. Yeah. All right. We it's will, going to get uh, pretty good. Tune in next week. Let's hear the rest of it. But, Ryan, I appreciate it, bud. I've enjoyed it. All right. Me too. Have a good night. We want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line podcast, Power. The DuckSouth.com.